to play ball. Welcome to the podcast with no limits. Whether it be sports, current events, or random thoughts, this is the place to step in and stay a while. Your host is a proud alumnus of Rio Hondo Prep, a former minor league baseball umpire, and a man with strong opinions. Welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast and your host, Matt Persima. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. It's a Friday edition of the podcast, and in honor of the college baseball playoffs, we are going to be joined today by a, a very uh, a very knowledgeable college baseball fan, someone who has been a part of the Cal State Fullerton baseball program for quite some time, serving uh, a, a wide range of uh, duties and responsibilities, working mostly in the press box, but he's seen a lot of college baseball, a lot of Cal State Fullerton baseball over the years. And uh, I've actually worked with him a little bit in the press box when I was working at uh, Cal State Fullerton. Um, he is a guy who works uh, in local law enforcement, we'll say, uh, but a guy that at his core is uh, Mr. Titan Baseball and somebody that uh, we're going to talk a ton about the Cal State Fullerton program uh, about today, talk about college baseball in general. Uh, if you if you're ready, if you want to hear some baseball talk, uh, this is the show for you. So uh, without further ado, let's bring on our guest. It's my privilege to bring on the program, Mr. Brad Hull. Let's see, there he is in the waiting room. Okay, Brad Hull, welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast. Thanks for having me, Matt. It's good to talk to you again. It's been a long time. It sure has, man. Uh, you know, this time of year. Early June uh, is usually a fun time for for you and me, at least back a few years ago when we were both working in the press box together uh, at Fullerton, you know, the regionals, the super regionals, always a, a special, special time. But uh, unfortunately, uh, our, our alma mater, Cal State Fullerton, uh, not around in the postseason this year. I'll tell you, the last few years have been tough, Matt. Uh I don't care about college basketball or any really any other sports. So, so, you know, early June is like, you know, that's my, it's my June madness and it's like Christmas and for my whole family. And for the last couple of years with not having Fullerton in the playoffs, it's, it's been, it's been hard because I mean, they were there, you know, 27 straight years and, and all through my adult life and going to school and working for the program. Uh, the playoffs was a, you know, it was a given, it was just how far were we going to go? And, yeah. And, you know, you knew what you were going to be doing that first, uh, that first weekend in June. I mean, it was, it was set. It's on the calendar, yeah. you know, <laughs> so. I, mean, I still, I still watch all the games and it, it's been, you know, I watched a lot of games this last weekend and I'm sure we'll get into that. But, oh yeah. Uh, you know, me too. Man. Baseball has been, well, I've been going to games since I was 10 and, and I think we'll, you know, but it's been a part of my life for, for half my adult life. Mm-hmm. You know, man, it's it's crazy to think about, you know, how time flies and everything. Um, uh, I mean, uh, the Brad, you call it the Brad whole streak, 27 years, really. I mean, you, you're probably around seeing all that in some, some way or another. Um, yeah. But, but let's talk about that, Brad. Let's talk about, you know, I watched, you know, not all hundred plus games, but I tried to tune in and uh, this last weekend, uh, the regionals fun time. How did you, because for a lot of people that get involved in college baseball, as far as a fanhood, it's not quite the attractive sport like 
major league baseball or NFL or college football. It's like you mentioned in college basketball, it's like, it's this lower tier sport. And you know, when you really put it in perspective, but it's something I've always loved and it took me later in life to get to. So how did you get involved in watching college baseball? Well, uh, I'm from Fullerton. My parents went to Cal State Fullerton, met at Fullerton in the 70s and moved to Fullerton in the late 70s. So uh, when I was 10, uh, my dad, this is before they built Gooden Field. So Fullerton was playing their, uh, their games at Amherst Park, which is a, which is a very old baseball park in downtown Fullerton uh they were playing I think it was the 1991 season and it was the first year that Augie Garrido had come back after being in Illinois for three or four seasons so my dad you know I was 10 years old he knew I was into baseball and it was you know uh I live in downtown Fullerton so it was about four blocks away and I remember we went and sat in the outfield grass and watched Fullerton play Stanford and I just remember the score Stanford crushed Fullerton and then the next year they opened a good field and we would go periodically and through high school we would go. And I remember sitting in the, sitting in the stands in probably 1993. And uh, there was a kid in front of us in a Santa Fe high letterman jacket. And my dad said, Oh, my, my wife went to Santa Fe Springs high school. And uh, you know, I know the, do you know this person? He's the wrestling coach. He's like, Oh yeah, I wrestle. And uh, I'm coming to school here next year. My name's Mark Kotze. So uh, we met a young Mark, Mark Kotze in the stands and, you know, good in field in 1993 or whatever it was. And he, he turned out to be a pretty good player. Yeah, yeah, not too bad. Uh, one of the greatest in the program's history and the greatest in college baseball history. Uh, so, but but even so, like, I remember as a kid, you go to Dodger games, you go to Angel games. I mean, that was the huge stadium, a big deal. Did you still go to... Uh, angel games up the street i mean did you were you aware of the comparison like okay this is major league baseball this is college baseball oh sure you know we had uh, um, we had angel season tickets in 1993 you know we were way up in the way up in the in the the top deck and and my, we would, my dad would take me to games i actually saw george brett's 3000th hit was at anaheim stadium he went four for four to get to his 3000th hit so i was at that game <laughs> But the thing about Fullerton baseball is, you know, you, you've been around Fullerton for a while. Fullerton is kind of like a big, small town. You know, you, you, have, you have the college, but the people that live in Fullerton, they're, it, you know, Fullerton is their thing. And for the city of Fullerton to have this, this you know, this kind of baseball powerhouse right there, it's kind of a neat, you know, a neat thing and something to be proud of. So, you know, we, we went to games all through my junior high and high school and, uh, it was just something we did. Mm -hmm. and, well, uh, well, it's, uh, you know, you get to sit close, which is nice compared to the big league game. Um, you know, the, the, the players are younger so that you're a little more relatable when you're, when you're a kid. And, and I mean, was, was your dad aware? Cause 91, I mean, Fullerton had won two national championships in 79 and 84. Was your dad aware of the, the program's history as well? Sure. Because, you know, they were alumni and, they were alumni in the seventies before baseball had really gotten going. And, you know, they, you know, it was basketball was the sport at Fullerton in the seventies, Yeah, you know, but uh, I think they knew, I mean, back then, and even up into the, you know, the early two thousands in the press box, we would have reporters every game from the, from the Los Angeles times and the, the register, they had beat reporters that would cover Fullerton every game. And in the, 
late eighties and early nineties when newspapers were much bigger, you know, I remember my parents would have two newspapers. We'd still get an evening edition, you know? So, so there was a lot more coverage back then. Uh, there wasn't, it wasn't so much covered on ESPN or anything like that, but you know, in the local newspaper, it was a big deal. And Augie Garrido was, you know, obviously a larger than life figure. So he was getting, you know, he was getting the news stories and they were winning. It's so. interesting how college baseball has transitioned. It used to be this, lo, you know, very locally based product. And to your point, local, you know, new, news reports, not even, you wouldn't even see a game until the final game of the College World Series. And, and then it's transitioned to where it's not as much covered locally, but now it's got a more national brand. D1 Baseball does great work. Uh, Eric Sorensen, he's fun to follow. Uh, Kyle Peterson, ESPN. I mean, it's, it used to be really hard to find the regionals on, on TV or whatever. Now every single one was broadcast streaming or something. So the evolution of college baseball has been interesting too, right? The internet has really leveled the playing field. And uh, you know, I think that's something that, that um, has will really help Fullerton in the future if they're able to take advantage of it. And I think, I think they will be, but yeah, as far as internet coverage, um, you know, you can look on D1 and get all your, your scores instantly. I remember my early days in the press box, we still had, you know, a phone that would <laughs> ring. You might've been there for those too. And, and, and people would call from other stadiums and ask for scores. Mm-hmm. And so it was somebody's job to call around to the big West and to the local teams, to all the different stadiums and get the scores. Yeah. I, I, happened- I, I did that a few times. I was on both ends calling and receiving. <laughs> Even into the, the, you know, 2009, 2010, that was still going on, mm-hmm. you know? It was, it was crazy. Yeah. Little landline there, I remember. What was, what was that your first, I was just going to ask you, what was your first job working for the team and how did it all come about? So I got into the athletic department my freshman year. I, I was looking for a job and one of the guys in my fraternity had done music before and this was the fall of 1999 so think way way back into the you know fall of 1999 and he said they need somebody to do it so uh, I said that sounds awesome I'll do that and I went over to the college uh what do they call that the building that's across uh Nutwood uh I think it's where the uh, communication school is is that college park yeah, yeah, that had, sounds right. I had to go over there, and back then it was just a regular office building that the university le- uh, leased some floors, and they hadn't fully taken over the building yet. So I had to go over there and meet with a guy. His name was uh, Jeff Koba, and he eventually left to be part of the operations staff for the Angels, but he hired me to do music for volleyball. So I said, "Oh man, this is awesome!" So I, I remember. Uh, <laughs> Not a bad gig. <laughs> no, I was 18 years old. It was awesome. So I go in for the first volleyball game. It was one of the tournaments that they do in the fall. You know, Fullerton used to run two or three tournaments of, in the, you know, for the first couple of weeks of school. And I remember, and this is the only time I ever paid for a volleyball game. I, 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 they said you have to be here for the game. So I didn't know the students got it free. I paid my $5 or whatever it is to go in they're like oh you don't have to you don't have to pay and I was like okay so that that's the last time I ever paid for a volleyball and I've seen a bunch I've seen a you know 17 18 years of volleyball too but uh so I did the music and the uh the music machine back then now it's all laptops and the laptops get keep getting smaller and smaller but back then 
It was a, mach- a computer machine, probably the size of a 1980s boombox. It was huge. And it had a little screen that popped out. You had to pop, it was called the, it was actually called the click effects machine, I think. Or there was some kind of name for it, but the thing weighed like 30 pounds. It, you know, it was huge. And you had to plug it in and it was, you know, 1990s technology. And knowing Fullerton, it was probably early 1990s tech, you know, technology. But I did that. And I did um, basketball games for music. And this was in the early, you know, 99, 2000. They had some pretty interesting teams back then. And every once, I, every once in a while, I would do a baseball game. But uh, Mike Greenley was actually the sound guy back then. And uh, because Ryan Ermling was the SID. So Mike Greenley was doing the music. And every once in a while, I would sub in for him. And I would do a lot of softball games, but I wasn't really a a baseball guy in that sense until 2001 or 2002. I worked my way up from softball to baseball. And then the way I got a, the way I got into the program, uh, stop me if you have any questions, but, uh, you know, I just kind of progressed my way and, and, uh, you know, I kind of learned to do baseball there, baseball through the music, doing the music. And uh, Chris and Mike Greenley were there in the press box and uh, they would rag me every time I would make, you know, I'd have a bad edit or a bad cut or whatever, you know, <laughs> you were there in the days. It was, you know, it was kind of uh, a rough and tumble place. And I just got really good, worked my way up to baseball. And then uh, the way I got into the program is my dad and I would pick a road series every year and go and travel. Most of the time that was Stanford or, you know, Arizona or Arizona State, something relatively close. But in the 2003 season, the Titans were playing at University of Minnesota in the Metrodome. So we said, oh, that, that's fun. Let's go out there. So we went out there. It was really cold. It was like <laughs> minus 10. It was Minneapolis in March. I don't know if you've ever been there in March, but it's, it's not a fun place to be but they were playing in the Metrodome. So it was kind of cool, mm-hmm. you know, to see a game in the Metrodome, which held, I don't know, 55, 60,000 people with maybe 300 people in it. And uh, <laughs> so we're there sitting in the hotel bar in, uh, in, in Minneapolis and down the bar from us is Horton, Serrano and Vanderhoof. And I was like, wow, look, it's, you know, it's the coaches, you know, yeah. and that, uh, and uh, I don't know if you know, Coach Vanderhoek is a huge Fullerton basketball fan. He's mm-hmm. really good friends with the head coach now. And he, he's always had season tickets to basketball and he's always been a basketball guy. And I had been working with, the, you know, doing music for the basketball team. And he recognized me and he said, hey, what's it like doing basketball? And I said, forget about basketball. You know, let's talk about baseball. <laughs> Do you, you ever need anybody to help out with the baseball team. Cause I had been a statistician in high school and been around the ba- I've been around baseball my whole entire life. And, you know, I'd been a Titan fan my whole entire life. So I was like, this is my opportunity. Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, sure. You know, it was the spring of 2003. So they, that was a good team. You know, they, they, I think they finished third that year at the world series. Oh man. I would, I thought that team, oh, I would argue part of that team is better than the next year, but anyway, I'll make that, I'll make that argument all day long. Yeah. Um, and I, so I go down there and, you know, in, at the end of the, or towards the end of the 03 season, and I meet with Dave Serrano, who was the pitching coach at the time. And it all, you know, they said, yeah, sure. Just, you know, in the fall, we'll get in touch with you and you can do stat, you know, you can be a statistician and work for the team. So it was great. 
And, uh, you know, that was the beginning of the whole thing with me being an active involvement with the team. And so that 03 team went on to the World Series and, and uh, you said, you know, they're probably better than the 04 team. And I'll, I'll make that argument all day long. Started 2-0 and and then lost two straight to Stanford. Oh, those trees. <laughs> Johnny Ash, right? So what happens in, the, in that game, in that game against Johnny Ash in 03, Fullerton had the lead in, I think, the seventh. Right. Mm. It was a late, it was a late lead. And Horton goes to Chad to, to Chief in the in seventh. Like the seventh inning. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, an understandable move. He's the best, you know, he's an all-time great closer and an all-time great Titan. But he gives up that home run to Johnny Ash, what little five foot four Johnny Ash from Stanford. Oh, and I think the only guy that Johnny Ash hits a home run off of is Chad Cordero, right? Because he was pumping it up 98, 99 miles an hour back then. Mm-hmm. So that team was loaded. I mean, you just go down that lineup, you know, and that team, most of that team had finished, what, third in 2001. They didn't make the World Series in 2002. And then they go back in 2003 and finish third again. That team should have won a couple national championships. Man, it's crazy to think about because, yeah, in 03, you know, I had seen the team in 99 and 01. And it was like 03 you know, they finally beat Stanford to go up 2-0. And it's like, okay, they can finally beat Stanford. And then Stanford comes back and beats them twice. Uh, Justin Turner got hit in the face. Not only got hit yeah. in the face, but like broke his ankle. because Yeah, of- actually, the, the, the bigger part of that injury was not the facial injury, but he, yeah, he hurt his ankle falling down. And that, that would carry into the fall of 03 and the, and the you know, the run up to 2004. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Cordero, uh, PJ Pilateri, Try to think of guys they lost on that team. Uh, Richie Burgos was was Costa still around, or he had gone? Yes, Costa was there because he had home run, like I think against LSU, maybe or yeah, Costa left in 03. Um, there was a bunch of guys. I mean, that team, those teams were loaded, man. Yeah. And all those pitchers, you know, oh, yeah. all those pitchers, man. And then so you, you lose guys, you're like, man, and they come back the next year. And uh, had a rough start, we'll say. Uh, a rough start, 15 and 16, I think, was it? Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, everyone talks about it now. And 15 and 16. And um, for me, you know, being a, a fan, but now I'm on the inside and I'm in those meetings. And, and, and um, I remember my mom said to me, she said, oh, I feel so bad. You finally get involved in the team and, the, and you know, and they're, they're terrible. <laughs> And it was, I mean, 15 and six, you know, there's been a, unfortunately the last few years, there's been a, you know, some, some bad starts, but back then that no. didn't happen. No, after being on the, on the doorstep of the national championship and the comeback, and then all of a sudden, and you got a good chunk of guys back from that team. Yeah. And to be 15, I'll never forget it. I was walking down the ramp, you know, as we usually, as we did to yeah. get out of the stadium and it was a midweek loss to San Diego, USD of all teams. And I remember walking down the ramp and going, man, maybe they're not going to do anything this year. I, I right. remember that feeling looking at the scoreboard there in the outfield getting barked at. And I'm just going, well, cause I'm, I was about, I was just graduated high school and I was about to go to school there and I was like, all fired up. And then, yeah. Okay, yeah. You know, um, and those co the coaching staff was Horton Vanderhoek Serrano and Chad bomb. Maybe people remember Chad bomb was the volunteer assistant. And those guys weren't used to losing Mm-mm. at all. So it's like, they didn't know what to, you know, it, it's, we didn't know what to do. 
No, nobody was used to stuff like that. But here's the thing about that team is that team was so experienced from, you know, a lot of the whole, the guys were held over from, from the previous years, that team probably didn't need a whole lot of coaching. And, and, but once they figured it out, and I think Dr. Ken Revisa had a lot to do with it. They brought him in around that time. And once conference started, it was over, man. It was like, we turned on a light switch and it was just, win, 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 win. And I think we won 32 out of the last 38 games, something insane like that to, you know, to go to the world series. Mm-hmm. And it, it was incredible. And even going through the playoffs, you know, each round, they're like, ah, oh, you know, this, this is going to be it. This is going to be it. And we just kept winning, kept winning. And uh, I was working for uh, Eastwood insurance at the time. Remember the old East Eastwood insurance company. I was working there. <laughs> And I, then the night of the, when we won the super regional coach Horton came up, he's like, Brad, we're, we're taking, you, you know, you're going with us to Omaha. And I was like, all right, cool. You know? And uh, I had to go tell my, you know, tell my worker, Hey, I'm going to take, I'm going to need some time off. And she said, well, how many days? I'm like, I don't know how long we're going to be there, but I'll, I'll let you know. And I kept, when we got to the world series and we just kept winning, uh, it's going to be another day. It's going to be another. And luckily the boss was cool. And uh, she, you know, left me, let me keep, you know, we kept staying and I kept missing work, but we just kept winning and we kept winning. And then uh, there were some, some, some hairy games in there. I mean, that, that world series, I'm trying to remember, I have the poster in my room, but. uh, Oh, four, oh, four. If I remember correctly, they opened against South Carolina. Yes. Then they played Miami and uh, Windsor pitched against South Carolina. Uh, Ricky Romero against Miami won those two games. Okay. Life is good. South yep. Carolina won a game, came back to beat Fullerton. Yep. And then, so then it was a all or nothing, uh, you know, winner to the world series final again against South Carolina and uh, out of the bullpen comes, uh, comes jogging out of the bullpen. Uh, Jason Windsor, I believe who pitched like the last three innings of that game. Yeah. I I'd almost, I'd almost, uh, I don't want to forget some heroics that happened in the first and second rounds of the playoffs too, the regionals and super regionals yes. too. I don't know if you, I don't know if you want to go back and talk. Let's about go back. Those. Let's go. So Oh four, let's go back to the regionals first. Um, I re- okay. I don't want to steal your thunder here, but that was Pepperdine, right? Pepperdine. That yes. Game yes. two, game two. Remember the, the home run that, yeah. and it was like in those days you played after, after you lost, it was two games, three games, two games, rather than yes. the two, two, two. So yep. you had to turn right around after you lost a heartbreaker with a walk-off home run to Pepperdine and right. beat the ASU, I think. Right. And um, I believe for the ASU game, was that the Mike Martinez might've come out of there. Like some, uh, Mike Martinez had to make a good start and it's been 17, you know, yeah. <laughs> 17 years. So, so my memory is not great, but I remember had, Mike Martinez had to make a, a spot start and win and i think that was against arizona state and i think scott sarver had a really nice start in there too Mm -hmm. yeah maybe this maybe the sunday to beat pepper because the next day they had to beat pepperdine twice and they beat pepperdine twice on sunday destroyed in both uh, games and it was i think it was sarver in the first game on sunday and then we won that game pretty easily Mm -hmm. Uh, i believe it was a blowout and i remember we're in the locker room and we knew that Jason Windsor was going to start the Sunday game. And he had started on Friday night too. So what Jason Windsor did in 04 was incredible. Everybody knows, you know, 
everybody knows the stories. That was unbelievable. You're right. Um, no, I, you know, he pitched Friday night, uh, shut down. Uh, I got the scores for me right here, actually. Shut down Minnesota. They, they lose to Pepperdine on the heartbreaker, have to turn right around that night, beat Arizona State, and then win two on Sunday. The two games on Sunday to beat Pepperdine, 15-1 to and 16-3. to Yeah. So, uh, Scott Sarver. Yeah, Mike Martinez with the win uh, over Arizona. Against Arizona State. Sarver and then Windsor. But I remember seeing him warm up. Windsor getting loose in the bullpen. Uh, but the first game and you're going, wait, he's coming back. He pitched nine the other night. Right. <laughs> and, and we, we had beaten Pepperdine, you know, 15 to one, you said in the first game mm-hmm. and we were in the locker room and we, we knew we had, you know, we knew we were rolling. We knew we were rolling and they didn't know that we had, you know, Jason Windsor, our, our, you know, <laughs> our horse, our stud coming out. And when he came out and got in the bullpen, you could just kind of hear their crowd just go, Oh, you know? <laughs> Uh, the, the next two rounds they got, I mean, the next two games, they got through Tulane pretty easy, 11 yes. to four, 12 to four. Again, w- Jason Windsor. And then, okay, you get by him. Maybe. Okay. No, they got Ricky Romero too. I mean, right. what, what a one, two punch. Uh, I was talking with my good friend, Todd Carson, a few days ago about who's a brother to uh Gordon Carson who worked with you guys, I think for a little bit up there in the press yeah. box. Um, we, we were talking to me, one of my favorite Titan games of all time was in 2004 but it was against Long Beach State on the Friday night when Windsor pitched a game of his life. He went 10 innings, not nine, 10. He made one mistake on an 0-2 pitch, gave up a home run. That was the only run that they gave up. And uh, Long Beach had this, uh, this quite, quite amazing pitcher themselves and Jared Weaver who shut down Fullerton until there was two, two outs in the ninth. They got across yeah. the run and then in the 10th won the game. So that yeah. was my favorite game. Yeah, I remember that game and that, that was a big deal. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'll, I'll reserve my, my feelings for Long Beach, but, uh, <laughs> but they, they know how to hype themselves, right? Long Beach knows how to hype. Uh, you go to their, their stadium. They, they got logos everywhere at, yeah. at Blair Field, right? <laughs> so their big hype that year was they had Weaver, who obviously was the Golden Spikes winner that year and obviously a great pitcher, but their big thing was like Friday night lights. Like they'd sell out on Friday nights. I don't know how many people they had on Saturdays and Sundays, <laughs> you know? So Friday nights was a big deal. So we're there. They got Weaver, but we got Jason Windsor. And yeah, that game was, that game was was uh, was uh, a good one because I think we were like night. We finished conference nineteen and two, I think. You know, and all we needed to win was one of those games to 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 you know finish the conference season and win it. And the the conference was a lot tighter back then. You know, Long Beach was good, and and they were right there with us. So that that was a big series. But we that was a you know, good team, not just not yeah. just Jared Weaver. Uh, Troy Tulowitzki, oh, yeah. Evan Longoria were two big, <laughs> two top five yeah. picks. I mean, that team was good. And for Fullerton to beat them, I think Long Beach needed to sweep, and Fullerton might have even uh, swept them. Yeah, they did. We did sweep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we did. We did, and uh, you know that was a big deal. That, that was, was a huge game. They were well, huge games. I've never seen a guy go ten innings before. I mean, I just remember seeing him after the game dripping in yeah. sweat going up to the press box. I'm like, dude, that dude is a stud. So, uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, Windsor would do that kind of stuff every week. I think he had eight complete games that year. That is just, that's eight. You that's know? unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Guys games. in the major leagues don't have eight complete games in their careers these days. 
<laughs> pitch counts, pitch counts. Right. Uh, so the, the L4 team special, they, they, again, we talked about the, uh, the Omaha run. Um, they get to the, they finally get to the national championship game. I had never seen them in the game and it's a three game series. And uh, who's in the other dugout, but Augie Garrido and the university of Texas. What did that mean to the program, Brad? Man, it was, I mean, it was, it was incredibly special, but, but everybody was talking about Texas. Cause I think they had been there. Did they win in Oh two or Oh three? Uh, Rice won in Oh three, Texas, I think won in Oh two. Right. So they were, you know, they were the big juggernaut at the time. You know, Wayne Graham had got his one is in O2 and but Texas was that was the big show. And everybody's like, oh, there's no way Fullerton's going to beat Texas. There's no way Fullerton beat Texas. And, you know, it's special for for our, you know, for our team because it's Augie. He's, you know, he's the man that built the program and he may have gone to Texas, but he was still you know, he still belonged to Fullerton and he still belongs to Fullerton to this day. You know, Texas can have all they want, but, but Augie belongs to Fullerton and it was very special. And I remember the day before it was like practice day before the seat, before the championship series. And Augie was in our dugout talking to coach Horton and coach Vanderhoek and coach Serrano and coach Horton introduced me to Augie Garrido. It's the first time I got to meet Augie Garrido. Oh, wow. And, uh, he's he was everything that you thought he was he was larger than life and he was like oh like even during the daytime the spotlight was on him in our dugout and everybody's like holy shit it's or, i'm sorry uh they're like <laughs> it's it's uh it's augie garrido you know and it was a big deal and i just remember i got to shake his hand and meet him and then coach Horn said this is brad he's one of our assistants and you know it was kind of a cool thing for me and i got to meet him one more time when he went into the fullerton hall of fame and i think what was that 2012 or whatever. I got to meet him again. And, uh, you know, it was really, you know, it's kind of special for a, for a Fullerton kid to meet Augie like that in oh, those circumstances. No doubt. Then, no doubt. And then that championship series, I mean, talk about our team. Our team had seven big leaguers on it that year. The 04 team had seven future big leaguers on it. The Texas team had a bunch too, you know? Um, <laughs> well, again, so it was, I, it was a, you know, a team effort, but again, it was the pitching of Ricky Romero and Jason Windsor really that highlighted everything. And I think Fullerton came out that scored three in the first inning of game one that really showed them, Hey, we're here to play. Um, and then, uh, so Fullerton won a tough game, game one, six to four. And then it was uh, a Sunday. I mean, I'll never forget a Sunday middle of the day and Windsor gets the start and you're thinking, okay, he's going to be just fine. Uh, Texas through JP Howell, I believe. Yeah. yeah. And he shut down Fullerton for a good seven innings or so shut him down. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that game was, was uh, yeah, it was tough. We weren't getting anything. And I, I've watched that game a couple times in the, in the past few years. It's on, it's on YouTube or whatever. And you can find both those games. And I think I've watched both of them. And, and they were really, really tight games. Mm. Every pitch you know? mattered. Every pitch mattered. And, um, yeah, Fullerton eventually, uh, you know, scrapped a few, scrapped a few runs. There was a, there was a wild pitch, uh, Brett pill with a huge uh, pinch hit triple. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and then of course the big swing was um, Kurt Suzuki who had struggled up to that point it was a player of the year, I think in the big West or, or one of the top players and struggled, but when it mattered with two outs there and I don't know, the seventh or eighth came in with a huge base hit to score right. twenty minutes and give them the lead. Yeah. And it was uh you know, back in those days, 
Fullerton was going to Omaha every other year. So there was Fullerton was very popular in Omaha with the with the uh, with the you know with the Omaha people. And Texas was there, and they brought their a lot of fans too. But but you know that's a Big Twelve rival to the to the uh, to the Cornhuskers. So Fullerton had a lot of fans in the stands that day. And it I was, was going to say pretty, they kind of uh, Fullerton was always kind of adopted, right, as the local team. Yeah, you know. Um, and it, that was that was the cool thing about being in Omaha is you were basically as Fullerton you you were like the hometown team they lo- you know <laughs> underdogs no matter how good we'd been Fullerton will always be the underdogs and uh, you know it, it was cool it was like uh, it was like Mardi Gras with baseball for two weeks. <laughs> yeah. Well Fun. said. So what what was your favorite? I mean, outside of winning the national championship, outside of meeting Augie Garrido and uh, being on the field. I mean, all those are great things, but what is a significant memory for you in being there in Omaha at the college world series, Rosenblatt stadium. I got to go in 08 as a, just a fan, as an observer, that was a blast for me, but what, what, uh, I guess was your favorite memory of, uh, being there in Omaha on the college world series in 04. I think, and, and I may remember this differently than it actually happened, but I, I like the way I remember it is arriving on the team bus and kind of seeing like, you know, Rosenblatt sits kind of up on a hill mm-hmm. or at least it appears that way. And you, uh, you kind of drive up and you see the, the lights and the ballpark on the hill. And, and as a college baseball fan, it was, that was the top and we were finally there and, and everything that had led up to that point in the season, we were there and it was an incredible sight and an incredible feeling for just a, you know, a Fullerton boy who had been a Titan fan his whole entire life to be on that bus and driving up to Rosenblatt and, and we had made it, man. That's yeah. I, I, I agreed. You're, you're driving on the highway. Uh, and then all of a sudden, boom, there it is. And you're just like, wow. Uh, but man, to be on the team bus, to be in the stadium, that must've been special first title since 95. And, and Brad, you were a young kid. What do you remember? You remember anything about the 1995 team? Uh, you know, the greatest team in college baseball history, arguably. Oh, sure. I was in eighth grade that year. Uh, and we went to a lot of games. We went to a lot of games. And I just remember them winning and winning and winning and winning. <laughs> and, you know, and you had Ted Silva and his, what was he, 18 and one and two saves. Ted Silva, you know, always talk about the, the two saves. Yeah, Ted Silva, you had, uh, you know, um, Jeremy Giambi was on that team. Kotze, of course. I mean, just, you know, all those guys. And they won a lot. And here's what I do. Here's what I remember. Uh, I was in eighth grade and for eighth grade day or whatever, my class, we went to uh, not, to, we went to Disneyland and we went to Disneyland and it happened to be the same day that Fullerton was having their Vic, their national championship victory parade at Disneyland. So I remember seeing, like getting on the, in the line at Splash Mountain and there's Kotze and all, you know, all those guys and like, and they all had their championship shirts on. And I thought it was really cool that I was there as an eighth, you know, at this, on the same day as the, as the Titans when they had their parade. So that, that's kind of my memory of the 95 team. Oh man. Yeah. Whatever that incredible 57 and nine or something like that. Seven and nine. Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, so uh, Brad, uh, you know, the 04 national championship, you're a statistician on the team. You're in the, I mean, life doesn't get much better than that. Uh, you're in college at the time. And unfortunately, you know, uh, life moves on. You graduate college uh, in 06 there at Cal State Fullerton. But 
you stayed a, a member really of the, of the team in some aspect. And is that kind of when you moved to the press box, started working every day there? Yeah, because in 05 and 06, uh, our technology capabilities on the team got a little bit better. But we started doing video. We started videotaping the games, you know, from behind the plate. You know, 04, the, our, our, uh, our analytics department was me and, and another guy with a couple clipboards and a radar gun. You know, now <laughs> everybody's got TrackMan and they all sit up in the press box and they've got all these computers. It was, it was me, a radar gun, you know, a red shirt pitcher and some clipboards. And we were out there in the rain or whatever. And, you know, sometimes in those games and we started back in back in those days, your first game was like February 3rd or 4th. So we had some games that were it was cold, you know, <laughs> like, you know, 40s sitting out there and it was cold. And we sat out there and we, we charted pitches. But in 05 and 06, we kind of got a little more sophisticated with with videotaping and everything like that. And I did that. And, uh, and we moved the video back from behind the plate to right and kind of in front of the press box. And that's kind of where, I, you know, I could stick my head in that window and talk to guys like Chris and who I had already known and Chris and Mike, who I had known. And uh, after I graduated, Mike Greenlee was running the show as the SID at the time. And he said, why don't you come back into the press box and play the music and, and do whatever. And I said, yeah. And I, you know, I've been doing that ever up until this you know 2021 was the first year i hadn't done anything in 20 years well well i gotta tell you that i have you know experienced a lot of things in uh in sports uh umpired in the minor leagues i worked in the press box for the quakes uh worked uh college baseball of course but i i will say one of my most fun things was working in the press box for cal state fullerton games and i think it had more to do with the fact of the people in there uh, Mike Greenlee, Chris Alba, yourself and me, that was a fun time because and it was, we did it a few years. I ran the scoreboard, you ran the music, uh, you know, Chris is doing his thing and, and Mike is uh, running the entire show. And I just remember, I haven't laughed so hard. I, we get to watch baseball uh, every weekend. Uh, the random movie quotes that would come out, uh, the seeing someone in the stands making comments there. Anytime there was a, a tough play, uh, the win against Fullerton, all three of you guys would look at me as like the, the umpire guy, like, why, why did he miss that? Or yeah, you were the spokesman for all umpires. <laughs> That's right. Someone had to pay. That's right. Hey, it's you. It's your fault. Yeah. Uh, but, but Mike was fun. I mean, the, the music just, I, there was a, I remember, what was it? Uh, we did a potluck a time or two where it's like yeah. we, hot dogs, uh, beer, yeah. beer battered dogs. I mean, we had some fun. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I, I'm really proud of the, of the work we did as a game or op operations staff back then. Cause I think, you know, Fullerton always has to do more with less. Mm. And I, I think that's the underlying motto of everything at Fullerton is that we try and do more with less. And I think we did a really good job and we were really, you know, we had it going there for a few years with the music and Fullerton, you know, even the, the traveling writers would always comment that Fullerton was always like, a, you know, a rock and roll place. Rock and roll was always going and it was a hard place to come in and play. And uh, I think me doing the music, I think I had something to do with that. Oh, yeah. You know, um, but it was a good time. It was a lot of fun. Good. You know, Chris has been doing it since 96. Just a pro, uh, man. You know, I've been there for off and on for the last, in some capacity, since 2000. 
Greenlee was a, you know, he was a player in the late nineties and he'd been in the press box for a long time too. It was, and then you'd been there for, you were there for what, three or four or five years. Yeah. That sounds about right. Like, yeah, you know, so, so we, we were good at, we were good at what we were doing and, and uh, you know, everyone had a role was doing it well. And, and as long as you kind of did your job, uh, Mike was happy. You know, if you slipped up or something, Hey, he, it was his job to, to get us in line. But yeah. I just, we, we had so much fun talking baseball. Uh, Greenlee, he's a baseball. He's like February until uh, the end of the major league world series. That's baseball season. Nothing else matters. That's, that's right. <laughs> And, and, you know, I'm kind of the same way. Like I said, I don't really care about any other sports. Uh, Mike Greenlee is the same way. He's baseball only like me. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it, it was, a, you know, I spent, like I said, half my life in that press box in, in, in the springtime. And uh, this year it was different yeah. not being in that press box. And and was that just because they, uh, with, with all the restrictions and everything, they were just trying to have less people around? They, they wanted, I think, you know, a smaller staff and, and so, you know, separation and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, also revenue wise, you know, it's one less, one less person you have to pay. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> um, so, you know, I understood, um, but, uh, but uh, I was pretty proud of the game operation stuff that we did, you know, we'd done, I moved on to this work in the scoreboard the last couple of years, but uh you know, I think that that music and atmosphere has a has a big part to do with with baseball games, mm-hmm. and uh, I like the way I did it. You know, oh yeah, no man, it was uh, it was a fun time. I wish we could go back and and uh, and do it again, maybe down the road. Um, let me ask you this: uh, visiting venues. Oh, um, I was just on the tip of my tongue. I was going to ask you something about. Uh, well, I guess. Oh, that's what it was. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, you and I, Brad. I don't know if you remember this. We actually. Uh, got to do a little play-by-play broadcasting. T- I almost forgot about that uh, a time sure. or two. Uh, did some internet radio of the games when they needed a guy or a couple of us, and we're like, we'll do it. That was that fun. Was, that was kind of the, the fun of Fullerton back in those days because it was kind of like a ragtag group of guys that could get the job done. And uh, Mike Martinez has done a nice job for the last few years doing doing the baseball broadcasting for Fullerton. But back, in the, back then, it was uh, – you know, Mike Greenlee would do it sometimes. Mel would do it a lot of times. Who, you know, anytime you could hear Mel talk about Fullerton sports, is is he was he was a it was like he was like Fullerton's Vin Scully with all the stories because he'd mm. been there since '79. I think he came in to Fullerton. You know, so but yeah, every once in a while they would get thrown to you or me or or Mike Greenlee or you know I had done some softball games early you know years earlier and it was kind of fun i i don't pretend that i was any good but uh <laughs> but hopefully that you know people got an idea of what was happening in the games yeah i mean i was usually like a road trip and and i was a diehard at the time and i was like oh i'll go i'll go do it you know i yeah. got to do it up in uh Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo, UC Davis. I went to, uh, where was it? Arizona, Tucson by myself. Oh uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, I went a couple of times like, well, I'm just going to go. And then I knew someone in the area that I could stay with. And, and it was fun, man. You and I, I think we did a game at Northridge together. Yeah. Uh, Northridge. <laughs> uh, do you remember Brian Delahoy? Yes. He used, run, he used to run tickets and marketing. Uh, he's a good friend of mine for back, you know, 20 years. Him and I did a game, a series up at Davis in 05 after we, just after we had won the national championship, we go up to Davis 
And uh, that was Davis's first year in the Big West Conference, first year Division One. So we played a couple of those games at the Sacramento Rivercats Stadium, the oh. AAA Park yeah. in uh, Sacramento. So we got to call those games from a AAA broadcast booth. It was, it was a, a lot of fun. Great stadium. That is a yeah. great stadium. That's all. Yeah, you just never know. I mean, you grab the mic and you head out and have some fun. Yeah, I believe they built that stadium uh, to be major league expandable if the uh, if the A's had ever thought about moving to to uh, Sacramento, which I think they had at the time. So it was a great stadium and it was a lot of fun to call a game from there. Yeah. Oh, no doubt about it. Um, Brad, outside of, you know, you mentioned that Sacramento, uh, you, you traveled quite a bit. You talked with your dad. What are some uh, significant venues, places you've gone, you've gone to Stanford, Arizona, um, you know, Omaha, of course, but what are some, uh, list, a, list a few for me of, of places that really stuck out to you as a great place to go watch a baseball game? Uh, I think anytime you get to go back East to an old university, you know, Fullerton's 60 years old and it's, you know, 1950s architecture. But a couple of years ago, we went back to uh, university of Maryland uh, oh. to see Fullerton play Maryland and Maryland campus is really nice. Their baseball park is not, is not great because baseball is not really a revenue sport for them. So it's just kind of there. Um, but Maryland was cool. Uh, went up to Eugene a couple of years ago to see, uh, when Coach Horton was coaching up there, went up to see Fullerton play Eugene. And of course, PK Park is, is immaculate. Yeah, so nice. <laughs> you know, uh, it's a, it's a basically a, you know, a minor league park. And uh, back then the old, you know, the Arizona schools were playing in their on-campus facilities back then, which were nice. They weren't extravagant or anything. They both since moved to old uh, spring training facilities. Uh, where else have I been? I've been, you know, to most of the Pac-12. Uh, Stanford is cool. Uh, in the Big West, I like Cal Poly. I think it's a neat college town. I think Davis is about as close to a college town in California as you can get. Have you seen the expansion of SLO? Only on TV. Oh, it, I've umpired there. And uh, man, it, especially on a Friday night, uh, it's a it's cool feel. It's way bigger than it used to be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, they've got potential up there. They've got a nice fan base. And, and uh, you know, they, they've, they've got potential up there to be a, a nice program. You know, it was always that if you looked around the Big West Conference uh, attendance records, they were always from Fullerton would play because Fullerton would bring in, you know, their own fan base and whatever, but, but some of those schools are starting to build their, you know, build a fan base. You, you may not love this, uh, but, but I don't know. I've always, UC Irvine, I, it's a little tiny ballpark to me. It's got some charm. I'll tell you this. It's the best surface probably in America. (laughs) The playing surface is amazing. Uh, Blair field. I'm like, ah, whatever, but Irvine, I like their little, their little anteater ballpark. Yeah. Uh, And you know, and uh, that place is going to, they're going to grow too. Uh, you know, what, 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 uh, Orloff is doing over there. I think they're, they're an up and coming program. Mm-hmm. Um, some other cool places, the, the new park down at USD, uh, Fowler park. Yeah. That's nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think where else I've been. That, that, that is- what is your take on, uh, USC and UCLA? I think they could be there. Could, I mean, Dado fields, Dado field, but I don't know. I think like they could be more than what they are. 
Well, yeah. I mean, Dado Field is Dado Field. It was built in, what, the late 70s, early 80s. And, and it's very similar in size to Goodwin Field. And, and that's my thing is, like, Goodwin Field built in the early 90s and, and Dado Field, those were built when college baseball stadiums were just college baseball stadiums, right? Mm -hmm. It was a place for your team to play. And if you had a couple, especially out here on the West Coast, if you had a couple thousand seats for fans to come, great. You know, now you have uh, in the SEC, you know, you've got 10,000 seat stadiums, 12,000 seat stadiums. That doesn't happen on the West Coast, and it's never going to happen on the West Coast. Never. So, you know, Dato and Goodwin and places like Fresno State, those are just good college baseball parks. Jackie Robinson, it's old, you know, but it is what it is. You know, they have, I don't know what their draw, you know, they maybe get 2,000 fans a game and it works. And it's neat and it looks, you got the trees everywhere and it's. That is know. pretty neat. Yeah. But just, I mean, okay. So we watch the regionals all weekend, right? And I'm watching all the regionals down in Texas and the SEC and uh, thousands, tens of thousands of people at, at these games. Then I flip on the Stanford regional and there's 600 people there. The Arizona regional, at least Friday night when they played Grand Canyon, pretty good crowd, 5,000 plus. But yeah, why is it that? Is it just there's more going on here? People in the West don't care. Why is it that you can't get crowds at college baseball? Well, I think, I mean, the 600 people in the stands on Friday night at Stanford, that was because of, you know, California's regulations. But sure. but I, I get your point. And I think if you look at the major colleges in California and, on, you know, they're all in big cities for the most part, mm. right? Mm. We don't have college towns really for the big, for the big schools. So in, in the cities, there's other things to do. There's, ma you know, Major League Baseball or, or just whatever. Um, but in the SEC, with the exception of Vanderbilt, which is in Nashville, and maybe even Tennessee, which is in the state capital, Knoxville, every other, you know, all the other places are in these tiny little college towns where there's nothing to do for 100 miles. That's true. I've never thought of it that way as far as the the, the town itself, yeah. And in the SEC, you know, most of those college programs are the preeminent sports draw for everything in that whole entire state. So you have statewide radio networks and statewide TV broadcasts. You know, if you grew up in Alabama, you're either an Alabama fan or an Auburn, you know, an Auburn fan, you know, it's, that's just the way it is. And California, you know, in Fullerton is fighting for half of Orange County, you know, <laughs> so many schools in a, in a small proximity compared to, right. you know, choose a or B. So right. th that is interesting. I just, I'm like, okay, I understand that. And maybe football and basketball, there's just different animal, but UCLA basketball doesn't have issues with attendance SC football. They're still getting 80, 90,000 people there. I mean, maybe the brand is just bigger and people only want to care about a few things, but I know that the diehard uh, will say uh, Texas A&M, football fans are also diehard Texas A&M baseball fans, you know? Sure. So well, I when you're in college station, I guess that's, you know, that's what you get. You have to do. I mean, Houston's not far away or whatever. And I will say you asked me about stadiums. I did get a chance to go out to Texas uh, in 2020, right before every, the week before everything shut down, Fullerton went out there to play university of Texas. And uh, that Texas knows how to do it. Right. <laughs> that place was like, I don't, have you ever been to a game there? No. University of Texas? Mm -mm. It was like going to a major league game. Wow. Everything, the, the operations, the concessions, it was, it was amazing. Mm -hmm. and, and you see that as hard as we try, 
schools on the West Coast, even in the Pac-12, aren't going to compete with that. No, no, not at all. That's a really good point. And you know what? Uh, I'll say this. Texas does a few things better than the state of California, but we don't need to get into all that. Right, right. <laughs> even more and more attractive as I get older to uh, head out that direction. But anyway, um, uh, real quick on your on your travels, uh, any any ballpark food or just anything stick out to you from your travels? Like, uh, I'll never forget, man, those tri-tip sandwiches we had up in uh, San Luis Obispo. Those were amazing. Tri-tips, uh, uh, San Diego State used to have a pretty good barbecue guy there. You're right. At Tony Gwynn. Um, I, it's been a few years since I've been down to Tony Gwynn Stadium, but we used to go down there and play them every, you know, every year on a Tuesday. And a lot of times our, our baseball operations guy, Todd Rogers, would just order the team meals. He'd have it set up. So that's what that was our team meal going home on the bus was whatever that barbecue was. Nice. And uh, that was pretty good. Um, yeah, San Luis Obispo with their tri-tip sandwiches and the garlic fries up there. Yeah, there's some about Northern California. They love those garlic fries, man. Yeah. It's good stuff. And it, 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 you know, I hate to, to rag on Goodwin Field, but the, the hot dogs at Goodwin Field are, are a little lacking. Yes, yeah. yes. And Remember the I old was, sign we had, hot dogs are good? I think uh, it was false yeah. advertising. <laughs> hot dogs were adequate. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if you were hungry. They got the job done. They've done a little bit better now with bringing in food trucks and stuff, but still. What about I'm Omaha? Hot dog guy. Oh, hot do- yeah, hot dog. Well, you're a baseball guy. If you're not a yeah. hot dog guy, I mean, your hot's one and the same, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. What uh, What about Omaha when you were there? Did you, any nice restaurants or anything like that? Yeah, I remember. I mean, I was on a budget, you know, because <laughs> I, I I was uh, the team was nice enough to bring me along, but I, I you know I was uh, I was on my own. I didn't really have any responsibilities team wise. I was just kind of there and, and I wasn't in the dugout during games in Omaha. I was in the stands with the, uh, with the rest of the staff, which is fine. Um, but I do remember we went to a steakhouse out there and I, I don't remember what it was, but a, a booster there's a, we have a booster in, uh, in Omaha that, that comes to California every once in a while for games. That's cool. That's cool. And he took some of the staff, you know, out to dinner and and uh, i remember that and it was pretty good oh man that's cool yeah baseball and food it's there's downtime so you think about food more and it, it, being in a press box i mean we have pizza and uh, all kinds of good stuff uh, i i will say that man kettle corn at a cal state fullerton baseball game is is pretty darn good good thing to munch <clears throat> on fish on a cold night sure. um let me see okay before we get to some projections as to who we think uh, you know, the future of Fullerton baseball, there is something that is a big pet peeve of yours as a baseball fan, something, you know, you talk about those SEC Texas schools doing things right. Well, there's something that they do wrong in your eyes that you absolutely despise. And, and I agree with you. I, it's, you got to respect the game. And that is when the visiting team wears white pants, that's a home team thing. Talk I can't. To I can't stand it. And I understand if you're in a tournament or whatever, and you have to play an extra game and you, you know, you have to wear your pants two days in a row, you know, two games in a row because of a doubleheader or whatever. But if you show up for the series on Friday night and you're the road team and you're wearing white pants, it drives, it drives me nuts. Cause you're telling me these sec schools with hundred million dollar budgets can't afford to buy gray pants. <laughs> Give me a break. It's disrespect. Respect it, the games. It's purely a show up move. It's a show up move, right? They're like, we're going to wear white pants and we're going to wear, 
white don't get me started on white on white pleats either it's just you know <laughs> but yeah the white pants thing it it always bothered me because it's like you have gray pants you can afford gray pants put on gray pants you're the road team it's so people know it's 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 for a reason it's like so people know who's the home team and who's the road team mm. if they're watching on tv yeah it's like any other uh you know in football and basketball you designated uniform uh colors you know and things well like. basketball's kind of gone off the rails with and, that well they have of course of course because we have to go all uh all hip yeah. now all hip th- yeah. what, what what about uh what about jerseys anything bothers you about uniform baseball uniforms these days camouflage jerseys uh they they just uh Everybody loves the military, right? And we're not going to argue with that. But uh, I was watching UCI this weekend, and they have two different camouflage pattern jerseys. <laughs> now, I, I just everybody loves the troops, right? But uh, camouflage is so that people who are trying to kill you on a battlefield can't see you. They're not really for uh, baseball uniforms. You know, it just uh, drives me nuts. That's a good it, point. If, if if West Point or Annapolis wants to have camouflage jerseys, knock yourself out. But UCI, you don't need two camouflage jerseys. And they've kind of gone, you know, it started out, San Diego would wear them because it's a military town or whatever. But now every college has a, co- a camouflage jersey. Thankfully, Fullerton doesn't. But uh, <laughs> I, I, to me, if everyone's doing something, maybe it's not cool. <laughs> oh, I like that. I like that, Brad. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, sometimes it's not so much, you know, if there's a Memorial day weekend or something like, you know, I get it, but like, like to your point, a lot of times it's this, they try to do this camo with the school colors, right? Like, what are you doing to stop it? You see, I had one the other day, it was blue and white, you know, kind of a, a swirl camouflage pattern. <laughs> You couldn't see the numbers on the back of the jersey. That's another thing that bothers me too. Numbers on the back of jerseys should be, and they should be, there should be mandated that should be on the front of the jersey also, because numbers are for a reason so that people can tell who's who. Yes. And the, the camouflage jerseys that UCI had were so bad, you couldn't even see what the, you could barely see the numbers on the backs of the jerseys. Yeah. That's press box yeah. talk right there. Uh, you know, that's, yeah. we got to wait, who's coming in the game? You know, that, that stuff's important. So it uh, drives me nuts. Things, things are there for a reason. I agree with you. Yeah. Brad. What about, what about flat bill hats? That was a big thing in college baseball for a while. Flat bill hats was a big thing in college baseball. And I, I want to say that, that Chad Cordero way back in the day was one of the uh, first guys to do that. And yeah. it looked cool then when, when, when a few guys were doing it, but now that everybody's doing it, it, you know, like I said, if everybody's doing something, maybe it's not cool. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Yeah. Baseball uniform. I, you know, University of Oregon does crazy stuff with uniforms. I am a simple guy. I, I don't, I just, I'm, I'm old school, maybe call me boring. I just like a good classy looking uniform. Um, I miss the the regular pinstripes of, of the Titans and, and oh. uh, Saturdays, the, the blue with the orange trim. Uh, there's just been too many changes there, but yeah. that's just my opinion. If you ask me, Fullerton even has too many uniform combinations now, you know, it's yeah. like, no, I'm with you. They took the pinstripes off the grays a couple years ago. And uh, that was a good man, look. I like uh, that. It's anyway. so that you know, don't get me started. I love the pinstripes, and thankfully, <laughs> they still have them on the home, the home whites. But when they took the pinstripes off the grays, man, that was that was tough for me. Mm, I hear you. Well, Brad, you watched some of the regionals over the weekend. Uh, you know, Fullerton wasn't in it, but w- was there anything, uh, now that all 16 regionals have been decided, was there anything that surprised you, um, as far as the super regional matchups coming this, this weekend? Um, is there anything that kind of jumps out to you and maybe piques your interest? 
Well, I think it was interesting that uh, Florida, the number two seed, went zero and two. Mm. You know, and there's a lot of pressure on those on the committee to get everything right, and it's hard to know who's really the num- you know the best teams in the country because there's so many games and it's hard to watch all of them. But uh, uh, you know, you your your number two seed usually shouldn't go zero and two. It happens, but you know. It, well, and then to lose in the manner they did, I mean, it's like 19 to three in the final yeah, game. Yeah, like, yeah. Well, I heard there was a questionable call in that game that, that, that there was, there, it. there was. And that umpire, he allowed 10 runs. I can't believe that umpire. He was, he gave up 10 runs. Uh, what a, apparently there was a, uh, something in the outfield and I don't know, timeout yeah, was called it, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, you know, those umpires, the, the <laughs> Those umpires, they gave up too many runs. Uh, South Florida won that a four seed. So the only four yeah. seed to advance. So congrats to them. Um, as far as West, I thought Irvine was was going to play better against Stanford in the last game. Did not. You know, but they didn't give up. No, they, they kept fighting. Seven in the first, right? Yeah. Um, school like Notre Dame looks pretty good offensively, but you look at the teams in that region, I'm like, okay, no wonder they scored so many runs. Um, TCU, a six seed, knocked out as well um oregon blew it man up 2-0 they lost to lsu that was disappointing um but anyway we got some good super regional matchups i just wish it had a little bit more southern california uh flair to it yeah and i think us in california we always have this feeling that the 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 committee kind of puts all the california teams together maybe it's true maybe it isn't you know but it certainly seems that way and uh I, I would have liked to seen I you know I would have liked to seen Irvine go a little bit further because anything that's better for the Big West is better for Fullerton. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Long Beach maybe should have been in the playoffs. I don't know. I think them not playing a non-conference schedule hurt them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Santa Barbara. Uh, you know I think they could have done better, but hey, the, you know. We need to get back to the era where there's three or four Big West Conference teams in the playoffs every year. And, and maybe and a think, few of them hosting, you know, yeah. uh, multiple. I mean, and even, uh, you know, you didn't have UCLA hosting. They normally do. I mean, Southern California baseball was a little down, I think. And uh, but, but, you know, matching teams up together, that's just always going to happen. I mean, you look at that Florida regional it was Florida, Miami, and South, Florida, South yeah. Florida. So that just happens. And you yeah. got to beat who's in front of you. And, yeah, I wish uh, more and more. West coast teams would advance to Omaha and and this and that, but it is what it is. Um, Okay, Brad, let's get to the big news from Cal state Fullerton recently Uh, head coach, Rick Vanderhook, who's been there 10 years recently uh, retired. So there is a, uh, a, an opening here on one of the best jobs in college baseball, at least you and I think so. Um, First off to Rick Vanderhook and uh, you know, him, a lifelong Titan, you know, he was, he's coached other places, but he's a Titan through and through player assistant head coach. Uh, what are your thoughts on him calling it a career? Well, can I say something about Rick Vanderhook first before we start? I, yes. I wouldn't be in the program in the capacity that I was without Rick Vanderhook. So uh, I really owe my involvement to him. And I think uh, second to Augie Garrido, no one has done more for Fullerton baseball than, than Rick Vanderhoek has. I agree. And, uh, you know, when I, uh, some years ago, when I left for a while to go to the FAA Academy and I threw out the first pitch, Rick Vanderhoek caught that first pitch. And it meant a lot for me because he could have sent out a bullpen catcher or anybody, 
but he caught that first pitch and it, it meant a lot to me. And uh, I consider Rick Vanderhoek a friend and uh, I wish his, his tenure at Fullerton had ended on a little bit higher note. Mm-hmm. And I, I will say this, I've seen close to a thousand games in 30 years, uh, you know, at least hundreds of, of Titan games <laughs> in the last 30 years, the high hundreds. He's coached two of the three best Titan games that I've seen in 30 years. And uh, one of them was the, uh, the uh, Super Regional win against Long Beach State in 2017. Mm. That game was phenomenal. Mm. And I think the other one out of the top three Titan games I've seen in 30 years was that Super Regional game against Washington in 18, where they lost. That game was incredible. And mm. uh, like I said, short of Aguirrito, I don't think anybody's done more for Fullerton baseball than, than Vanderhoek. And, uh, and I, I wish his career had ended on a higher note, but, uh, I think, you know, it's time for, you know, Fullerton, it needs to, the last couple of years have been bad. And, uh, and uh, I don't think it's, it's all Rick Vanderhoek's fault, but he was the head coach and, uh, something had to be done. Yeah. 20, 28 years as an assistant, right. And then yeah. 10, 10 as the head coach. Yeah. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is crazy. he had a short stint at Northridge with Bill Kernan in the uh, in the late '80s, and then three years at UCLA, and the, but everything else. I mean, that guy has dedicated his life to Fullerton, and uh, I, I really, I really feel bad for him. I mean, it must be a tough week for him. First, no, oh, absolutely. I mean, was anytime you do something that long, and uh, yeah, wish wish him the best. Uh, I don't know if he's a a fisherman or whatever he's going to end up doing maybe golf i don't know but uh he'll find something you know they're going to have him stay around for till the end of the year as a special assistant to the athletic director and i I wish they could find a way for him to stay on permanently and then you know i think he's raised the most money during his tenure out of any coach you know for the program and and there's no better salesman for fullerton than rick vanderhoek and i wish they could find a way for him to still be involved yeah when we, uh, just we a were, really good baseball man. Oh yeah. When we were kids, uh, junior high, we'd come to Fullerton practices and he, I remember he'd come up and sit, sit with us and our coaches and talk with us just, you know, um, talk, tell, telling us about the team. And it was just, it was cool. It was cool to see. Um, uh, as you have a, time for a really good Rick Vanderhoek story. Let me hear it. Let me hear it. Okay. This is, uh, this is just one of my, my favorite memories of, of being involved. And it was, a, and I try and remember it and I, and I'll remember, I'll, like I said before, I probably remember it better than it actually was, but it was before a Sunday game. And it was, you know, during those, you've been on the, as an umpire, you've been on the field before games, everybody's got their job to do. There's batting practice going on and everything, but coach Horton and coach Vanderhoek, you, you know, you kind of let them alone before games because they were putting the, the game plan together. But Mike Greenlee and I were in the in the dugout, and Coach Vanderhoek and Coach Horton were sitting there. And have you, you've seen the natural, right? You know the those scenes with uh, with Richard Farnsworth and Wilfred Brimley sitting in the dugout singing old show tunes. Those are great. <laughs> now picture that, but it's Vanderhoek and Horton, and they weren't singing songs, but there was a a a, a bullpen pitcher, and I can't remember his name, but he was kind of a goofy guy, and he came up and he started talking to them. And he started asking them questions. And the way that Mike and I remember this is he would ask them, who's the greatest player you've ever seen? Stuff like that. And they would, they were answering his questions, just talking about, you know, who they, you know, 
and each and and Mike Greenley and I and I the way we tell the story is each time the player would ask another question, the who would get longer. So it'd be like, who was the greatest player you've ever seen? And who was the hardest worker? But they were humoring this guy and answering and answering their questions. And it was just a really nice moment of these two guys who had dedicated so much of their lives to Titan baseball, going back and remembering these great players and these great moments. And it was just a really great moment and, and a, a moment that you don't think of guys like Coach Horton and Coach Randerhoff to be that way, and it was it was just a really nice moment. And I, oh. you know, and I'll always remember that. I think if you talk to Mike Greenley, he would remember that story too. <laughs> what about uh? That's a nice that's a nice story. What about an intense, uh, maybe story you have from Vanderhoek a memory? Maybe a uh, situation <sighs> where he uh, was pumping the team up. Maybe I don't know. I, you got anything like that? Well, you know, back in the day, you had coach Horton and you had coach Vanderhoek together and they worked better as a team than I think, you know, any coaching combination that I can think of. And coach Horton has a master's degree in, in psychology. So he was kind of the mental guy, but uh, Vanderhoek was the heavy, you know, <laughs> and that was his job to do. And he would yell and scream and, but you knew, you know, you knew back deep down, that he loved his players and he wanted them to succeed. And I think any one of his players would back him up. And, and you look at the alumni, they love Coach Vanderhoek because he's the one who recruited them for so long. Oh, yeah. And he was the one, you know, he was the backbone of that program uh, for Augie and for George. Yeah, you almost forget that he was, you know, around that, that long. I mean, you know. Yeah, he was there. He was a you know, backup catcher on the 84 team. And then all through the late eighties and, early, you know, or the Augie's great runs in the, in the nineties and everything, he was the, he was the, you know, he was the guy, mm-hmm. and, you know, the fans are like, well, why don't we have a hitting coach? We used to have a hitting coach. Yeah. That hitting coach was Rick Vanderhoek. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Absolutely. You know, he, he's the guy. <laughs> well, we wish him uh, nothing but the best. Um, you know, Brad, I, I, as soon as I heard he was retiring, I said, well, who's going to take that job? And I started, I'm trying to think outside the, I'm trying to think with a big, because I saw on the write-up with a national search, you know, and I'm thinking, okay, it's going to be someone with ties to the program. At least you would think. It usually is. Right. It usually is. I, I wrote right. down a few candidates. Who do, who do you have in mind? You don't have any inside knowledge or anything, but just who are some people you project? I would think that Sergio Brown has to be near the top of that list. Really? Only because, and now, like I said, I have no, no inside knowledge. I haven't been yeah. involved in the team in the last year. Only because he left Arizona, right? He was the number one recruiter at Arizona. You, you saw what they did over the weekend and the recruiting classes they've had over the last couple of years. They were all, you know, top 10, top 15 recruiting classes, and he was the recruiter. So he left Arizona to be the associate head coach at Cal State Fullerton. And that usually comes with some kind of promise on it, you know, and you, you don't, you don't leave a bigger program that quite honestly, their assistants probably make more than the head coach does at, at Cal State Fullerton. That that's the reality of the situation. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, you have to think that they might have made promises to him. I don't know, but you have to think, and he also has recruit. you know, he recruited the incoming the incoming group of players. Sure. And they're all bigger. They're bigger. 
than the, than they have been in the past. You know, who knows if he goes, whether they stay or not, I don't know. But you have to think that he that they have to, you know, he has to be near the top of the list just for those reasons alone as a continuity of the program and that he left a, you know, a pretty good job to come to Fullerton in 2020. That's a, no, that's definitely someone I had not thought about, uh, but I forgot, you know, that he was assistant there and everything. So that makes sense. He's in-house, um, been a Fullerton coach a long time previously and, and, and currently. Um, I wrote, <coughs> I wrote, I, I wrote down, what is this? Maybe 10 names here that I just, there's some tie to the program uh, in, in some form or another, and they have coaching experience. Uh, first of all, the two previous head coaches um, obviously are, are a thought. And uh, George Horton has recently retired himself. And then Dave Serrano is the head coach at Cal State Northridge. I know he kind of left on not the best of terms, but what are your thoughts on those two guys? I love coach Horton. Obviously he's, he's King George, right? He can do, he can do no wrong. <laughs> and I think if he hadn't left Fullerton in 2008, I think they probably would have won at least one more national championship in, in the last mm-hmm. 10 or 12 years. Right. Uh, now the thing about coach Horton is, is that he's, you know, he's in his sixties mm-hmm. and, and the, the coaching trend these days seems to be younger. Uh, ben Orloff is 34 years old. <laughs> <laughs> you know uh now coach horton i talked to him he was at goodwin field i saw him about a month ago he was there for a series and i talked to him for a little bit he's back involved in baseball he's working for a, a minor league team up in montana and player development i think it's the paddleheads or yeah you might know more minor league baseball <laughs> Azula, montana okay. paddleheads, something like that Azula got it yeah so he you know and so he's a who better to have as your player development guy in the minor leagues than Ben Coach Horton? Yeah. And he loves to fish and, and the outdoors and everything like that. So <laughs> I know he still lives in Southern California, but he does make trips up there. Mm-hmm. So he's still involved in baseball to a certain extent. So yeah, he he always has to be in the mix because he's he's the king. You know, since since Augie's passing, he is the the uh, the the old man of Titan baseball. Yeah, so he always has to be. <laughs> For sure. Dave, and I, I've known Dave Serrano for 17 years too. And I talked to him a couple of years. I, whenever I see him, I talk to him and I think that he's doing a great, great job at, uh, at Northridge. He's got them headed in the right direction. Would he leave again to come back to Fullerton? Who knows? You know, um, would the Fullerton fans welcome him back with opening arms? I would, uh, I think he's a good coach. I don't know whether he's, you know, I don't, I don't know whether they would consider that again. Who knows? But he has to be in consideration. Yeah. I mean, like you said, North, Northridge is doing some things with their athletic department too, where they're really moving in a good direction and he's only been there two years now. So uh, the, the idea of him coming back, I, I, I don't know. I mean, you kind of, I could see it happening. And yeah, as far as being welcome back or, or whatever, I mean, uh, Augie Garrido is Augie Garrido, but, but he came back. You know, he came back at one point and it was just fine. Um, Some other names I have here that are either assistant coaches, have connections to the program. Um, First off, up the road at Fullerton JC, I believe, is Chad Baum, who's been an assistant there a long time, Um, just because it's local, right? Um, 
and then uh, a couple of uh, pitching coaches, uh, Kirk Sarlos, who's at TCU. Now, Jim Schlossnickel just left TCU, so maybe right. he's in the mix there. And then uh, another former Titan, Ted Silva, who's a pitching coach at USC. So what do you make of those three? Those guys are all kind of young, right? Right. Uh, I think Silva and uh, Sarlus are, are, would be much higher on the list than no disrespect to Chad Baum. Mm-hmm. But after the 2019 season, after they, you know, missed the playoffs for the first time and they reorganized the, the coaching staff, Chad Baum was let go mm-hmm. and he moved down to, to Fullerton College. And I'm sure he's having, I don't know what they did last year, but I'm, I'm, I don't see him coming back as the head coach. Um, Ted Silva, again, anytime you have an assistant, and, and the same thing with Sarlos, anytime you have an assistant at a big school with a football program, they're probably going to be making more money than the head coach at Cal State Fullerton does. Yeah, true. Uh, you know, uh, I just look at them as neither of them has had head coaching experience and maybe that would be this would be the job that made them go for it but uh yeah i hear your point absolutely absolutely and i think that's true and and i i don't know what usc pays of course jason gill former titan is the head coach at usc he's on Um, here too yeah yeah, i think he would be on there too yeah um you know i don't know what usc pays their baseball coach it's not going to be astronomical like the sec schools but it's it's you know the prestige of fullerton might might draw them over because USC is USC, but USC hasn't been USC in 20 years in the (laughs) baseball world. True. So who knows? But money Uh, does talk. Money does talk. And to your point, you know, I've always wondered that myself as guys who work in the minor leagues versus, you know, college assistant coaches, like as college assistants at certain programs make a lot of money and probably do make a lot more money than head coaches out here on the West coast in some cases. Well, you've got some big – I mean, Texas A&M came off the table last night with, with uh, Schlossnagel, but you have some big, big jobs. you got uh, LSU is, is in the market for a new coach this year, and Arizona State fired their coach uh, on Monday. That's so they're right. not going to pay as much as LSU, but L- you can bet that LSU is going to be offering over a million dollars for their head coach. Oh, easily. Fullerton's not going to swim in that pool. No, they just they can't. All. No. I, I I'm with you there. Um, it, it's crazy. So, the baseball, what coaches make in baseball compared to other sports. Yeah. That's pretty, that's a pretty recent development mm-hmm. with the big money like that. The millions oh, yeah. of dollars. Yeah. And LSU, ASU, those are, those are premier programs. Uh, maybe ASU hasn't, you know, lived up to their history, but still a pretty, pretty good job. I would think as is, uh, you know, the Fullerton job. I, I, I almost think the Fullerton job, maybe, maybe with the evolution of college baseball, do you think maybe the job isn't as attractive as it once was? Yes. Uh, Unfortunately. Yes. I think that's true. Uh, 15 years ago, college baseball was kind of in its own little college baseball realm. And the sec schools hadn't started pumping money into the programs yet. I mean, you know, Florida just built a $65 million stadium, (laughs) you know, if you see our Arkansas stadium is incredible. The, the stadium in Mississippi state and Starkville is incredible. No West coast school, PAC 12, big West, West coast conference is going to come even close to, you know, nobody's going to come close to that. So, uh, you know, all, and all the sec games, all the ACC games are all going to be on ESPN all the time. They all have, uh, 
contracts with the, you know, the ACC network is through ESPN and the SEC network. Now, next year, the Big West, all Big West sports are going to be, all games, all Big West sports are going to be available on ESPN app, on ESPN3. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. Outstanding. So all schools have to, have been upgrading their video capabilities to television, at least ESPN3 quality. Mm-hmm. And uh, Steve Detola is leading that project at Fullerton right now. I talked to him a couple weeks ago. They're hardwiring Titan Stadium, Goodwin Field, and the gym and the softball stadium, and maybe even the track for camera points. And they've built a studio in the Titan Gym, and they're going to be broadcasting all, all Big West sporting events to ESPN3, which is the app. Mm. So that will help immensely with, you know, being seen and that, that doesn't bring in television revenue but it's 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 going to even the playing field a little bit wow yeah that's that's huge news i mean you gotta you gotta compete nationally in that regards uh for people to see your program and everything um okay so sergio brown said jason gill what about this is uh this is a very i don't know i'm just throwing <clears throat> names out there uh, what about some guys who are in the big leagues right now who played at Fullerton? Some, there's, I, again, I think a third base coach in the big leagues makes a lot more money. But what about someone like Mark Kotze, who's the Oakland A's third base coach? I think you have to think about him. Uh, obviously, he doesn't need the money. He had a, a long major league career. He could do it. Now, do you want, now the, here's the thing. Being a third base coach in the major leagues is one thing. You you go to practice, you go to you play games every day. You go to city to city. You have your coaches meeting, and that's fine. Now, being a a, a head coach in in uh, Division One is a little bit different. You got to go out and you got to find players. Sure. It, it's a whole you got it's a whole different ball game. And whether these guys want to take on that hassle is another thing. You know, Erstad did it for a while at Nebraska, and Percival did it for a while at Riverside but they didn't do it for very long. <laughs> it's true. It's you true. It, it, it's a different world. So yeah, you got to think about guys like Kotze and Wallach and Nevin. Nevin Phillip. There's an old friend of mine that, that, that you might think about is PJ Pilteri. He's the second hitting coach for the Yankees right now. Okay. You know? Yeah. That's, I didn't realize that that's interesting. Um, yeah. So there's, there's some options. I know this Fullerton's got a lot of options and hopefully they uh, they make the right decision here. And is Jason Dietrich on your list? Because he needs to be high on that list too. Dietrich, he's out at ECU. I saw. Yes. Yeah, and and a former pitching coach at Fullerton and uh, other. But coaches. I've heard that he he's near he he should be considered. I mean, at least the national writers are saying that he should be considered hmm. heavily. You got a lot of guys on the list who haven't been head coaches before, at least in college baseball, and and I think. As to your earlier point, not so much young coach. It, it could be young guys, but also guys uh, who haven't had the head coaching experience. So I think that's probably the direction they end up going if they don't go Horton or yeah. Serrano. Well, the, Fullerton's not going to get the big names, right? So nobody was a head coach until they're a head coach. So, <laughs> you know, Horton wasn't know. a head coach until he was a head coach. And so you got to kind of throw that out. And, and the way these high level, these, these big programs, their assistants are, are, are probably good enough. And I, you know, that's going to be the option, but you always have to think about the reason that they always get forward from guys is I think that there is a alumni discount. They take, you know, 
like I said, they're not going to get paid as much at Fullerton, but it's the prestige of leading the Cal State Fullerton program. And I think that's, that's going to be a draw to a lot of former Titans. Mm-hmm. And some people say that they need to go outside the family a little bit too. And maybe, maybe it's time to do that. You never know. You never know. Um, another one final name I wrote down here who is a head coach uh, with Fullerton ties is Mike Kirby, who's over at New Mexico state. Yes. I forgot about Mike. That's that, yeah. And New Mexico state is it, they got up, they got football there, but they're not, they don't strike me as a big money type of place. So no. I could see that connection maybe at least getting an interview. I don't know. You also have Rex Peters, the assistant at UCLA. Uh, the right. other assistant at UCLA, Bryant Ward, was a was a graduate assistant under Horton in the last few years. Uh, someone even said TJ Bruce at Nevada, but I think I think Fullerton would rather not have a baseball program than have a, a Long Beach guy lead their program. <laughs> <but who? laughs> yeah, who knows? You never know. He's had some success at Nevada. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Good guy. And, and done well. So I, I we'll see what happens here in the uh, next few weeks. Hopefully it's, it's done sooner than later, but best of luck to uh, Cal state Fuller and their coaching search. Uh, Brad, as we get around third here, um, just two final questions for you kind of tied in. Uh, first of all, who, who are some Titans in the big leagues or who made it to the big leagues and maybe aren't playing anymore that were kind of a surprise to you. And then uh, on the back end of that, who are some of the, the, of all the, your years of watching Cal State Fullerton baseball, who are some of your favorite players that just stuck out to you? And when you think of Titan baseball, that's who you think of. So some guys that surprised me that made it to the big leagues. Um, Chris Davinsky with the Astros. I don't know who he's with now, um, but he was with the Astros a couple years ago. He pitched out of our bullpen, and I, and I kind of was surprised that he made it. Um, Who's the other one? I always want to call him by his nickname. Dust, Dustin Garneau caught for a couple of years with the Angels and A's, and, I, and he might still be in the big league somewhere. But uh, he was always a good player. But, you know, he, you, don't, you don't think, oh, that guy's going to be in the big league someday. But he did because of his hard work, and he got, he got there. Now you have other guys that the, foot, the, the minute they set foot on campus, you know that those guys are going to be in the big leagues. And the first guy that comes to mind when I think of guys that I immediately knew was going to be in the big leagues was Matt Chapman. Mm. with that arm at third base you you knew that he was going to be a big leader i was you surprised knew. how quick he got to i i thought he'd be there too but he got to the big leagues in like a year or something it was crazy yeah, yeah. um guys like justin turner you knew that he was probably going to play in the big leagues kurt suzuki obviously but then you know from that team windsor had a had a couple games in the big leagues. Ricky Romero had a couple year career, you know, nice career in the big leagues. Chad Cordero was in the big leagues for four or five years. He was Rolaid relief man of the year. Uh, Suzuki's obviously been in the big leagues for what, 15 years now, 14, <laughs> 15 crazy. years. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's an unbelievable career and I'm, I'm happy he's with the angels now. I think he's doing some really good, you know, he's a really good guy to have as the second or third catcher for the angels. Uh, you know Turner obviously his his career once he came to LA it's a completely different thing you know I remember when he was the, the backup guy for the the Mets you know and it, it, he was just kind of a bench guy and now he's a superstar mm-hmm. so that's kind of a cool story to see Justin Turner turn into that kind of a player one you of know, my Danny favorite Gordon. 
Danny Dorn. I'm sorry to interrupt. One of my favorite players was because uh, I had just started watching it was Shane Costa. To that that dude was just a grinder, a tough as nails dude who would do everything, get hit yeah. by a pitch or hit it out of the yard, whatever was needed. Sure, we were never on the same team because he let he finished in 03 and I came on in 04. But we had become friends, you know, just around the program. You kind of, you know, see people, know people. And yeah, those teams back then, those early 2000s teams were just grinders. And I think that Shane Costa was one, you know, the, the quintessential Titan of that era. Stealing home, you know, things you don't really see in baseball these days anymore. Stealing home and just, you know, running into walls, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Great stuff. So many great players, so many great coaches, a great program that has seen better days, but I think there's better days ahead. Uh, if all the pieces fall into place. Uh, and it's Brad- hard because, one more thing, it's hard because with all the losing the last couple of years, it's only hard because we've never lost before. Mm-hmm. Every other team, LSU, name them, Texas, they all miss the playoffs every couple of years. Fullerton hadn't missed the playoffs in 27 years. They'd never had a losing season until this year. Everyone else has to do with that. The only reason it's so hard is because Fullerton has never had to do that. And I think that's the extraordinary thing about it and that's why it's so hard because we don't don't know but it's normal losing is normal very well said it makes you appreciate the winning more when you uh, suffer some losses and uh yeah I, that's i agree with you it's like uh i don't know it's like a like any relationship you know you, sure. you lose something and then there's something better down the road so brad hole this has been a pleasure thank you for talking uh, college baseball thank you for talking um uh, Titan baseball with me. Do you have a, of the 16 teams remaining, do you have a, who's your national championship uh, pick? If you had to pick one, I know random didn't prep you. I mean, you got to go with like our, you know, our, the top, the top teams are, you always got to go with them. They always seem to be so much bigger and stronger, <laughs> but you know, I always, I see that what Dallas Baptist is still in there you got to root for the underdog sometimes. And I I had hoped that Irvine had done a little better so that there could be some small score representation these days. Cause it's so much about football power now, which should have nothing to do with baseball, but these days it has everything to do with baseball. (laughs) I hear you. Well, enjoy the super regionals, enjoy the college world series. And I'm sure we will be talking as soon as news breaks of the new coaching hire at Fullerton. Brad, this has been a pleasure, man. Thanks for catching up with me. Anytime. I, I hope I didn't talk your off and go too long, but uh, I really enjoyed it. And uh, it's really good talking to you again. And like I said, I'll come back and talk about Titan baseball anytime you want. Oh man, we will definitely do that. Uh, maybe a, a, a preview show next year or whatever, but uh, give my best to the family and uh, good luck in, in you and your career and everything, Brad. Thank you, Matt. You too. All right, Brad. It's been a pleasure. We will see you down the road. Have a good one. You too. Well, guys, that will wrap up today's episode of the Get Home Safe podcast. An absolute pleasure chatting with Brad Hole. Took me back to some of the memories of working in the press box and uh, Fullerton baseball before I got involved in umpiring and everything. And uh, yeah, just a great, fun conversation. I think a great way to take us into the Super Regionals this weekend for uh, college baseball. 16 teams remaining. And after this weekend, we'll be down to eight. And those eight will be headed to the College World Series in Omaha. Guys, be sure to join us next week for shows on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Monday's just me breaking down the sports stories, probably a lot of college baseball. Wednesday, of course, my interview with Bill Barnes on the weekly Wednesday weigh-in. The retired police officer gives his strong opinions and thoughts on the 
random things going on in the world. And we'll have another long form interview like this one on Friday next week uh, as we move right along here on the Get Home Safe podcast. Guys, have a great weekend. Enjoy all the baseball. But guys, as always, no matter what you're doing, whether you're out on the town or round in third base, get home safe. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Get Home Safe podcast. We greatly appreciate the support. We know we have a lot of loyal listeners out there, but we always want to keep people informed of the many ways to follow the Get Home Safe podcast. We have various social media platforms. Our Twitter handle is Get Home Safe Pod. Our Facebook and Instagram page is Get Home Safe Podcast. And our email address is Get Home Safe Podcast at yahoo.com. There's plenty of ways and options to listen to the get home safe podcast anchor helps distribute our podcast to places like apple spotify google and many more we also have a youtube channel that is brand new for us not a whole lot of content on there yet but we're going to try to put out more and more video episodes in going forward as well as short clips here and there regarding uh, big events that happen uh, over the course of time so lots of options out there guys we'd love to hear from you send us an email offer uh, some suggestions or contact the topics or uh, just ask us some random questions. We always appreciate that. I know Bill Barnes does, especially on Wednesdays. So uh, looking forward to continue to bring you great episodes here on the Get Home Safe podcast on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Guys, have a great rest of the week. And as always, no matter what you're doing, whether you're out on the town or around in third base, get home safe.